guys. I hope you, I can get my laptop unlocked here, man. Oh, is it actually crashing right now? Okay, okay, we're good, we're good, okay. All right, guys, welcome to Elevate Youth. I'm so glad you guys are here with us tonight. If you guys don't know me, I'm Sean. I'm the youth director here at Journey Church slash Elevate. So uh, I'm super excited for all of you guys to be here. Um, listen, so we, um, we're going to have more moments like that like we did at, during worship um, t- tonight. And we want to have that be part of our culture, part of who we are. Um, we had some significant moments at the Bold Conference, which is where we just came from. And um, yeah, it, it was pretty cool. So first of all, the bold, it was about 75 hours straight of like mostly conferences, speakers, and worship. And I, I don't know about you, but we got done with bold at Friday. I think it was about Wednesday when I finally caught up on sleep. Is anybody around that same time frame? Okay. It was about Wednesday, Thursday for me. And uh, I, I feel rested now, but sometimes it's like I'll have like flashes of like tiredness. I'm like, oh man, but... But with that, I don't know, it was like something significant happened there. And uh, on late Thursday night, Kelsey and I were talking. It was, we, it was after the, the last bold message. Um, a lot of you guys will remember this. We had a, a, all of us in a big circle outside on the lawn. You guys remember what I'm talking about. Yeah, we had a big circle outside on one of the, the lawns, the grasses. And um, we, it, was, it was Andrew and Claire's idea. And we basically just got in a circle. Andrew started us off. And we're just going to, he said, we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray over our situations. We're going to pray over our schools and just wherever you feel led to pray. And I'll tell you, we were there for probably 20 or 30 minutes, and I think 40 or 50 of us prayed. And that is a really amazing, awesome thing. And Kelsey was telling us after that, telling me after that that she said, I think that moment was the greatest moment in Elevate history, was that moment where just outside on the grass, and we just got people together, and we prayed. And everyone that prayed prayed in front of 70 people. Like, that's not, that's not a, a small thing. That's a big deal. So, it, yeah, I would say, I would agree with her. I think that was a great moment. And that's the one thing we talked about a lot was, like, we need that more part of our culture. We need that to be more part of our culture of who we are. Like, I don't want to just say, like, you know, a prayer before the message as if I'm blessing the food. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you just bless the food and you're just like, God's neat, let's eat, let's, you know, God's neat, let's eat, amen. Like, I don't know. Have you guys ever heard that prayer, God's neat, let's eat? Okay, I've heard that a few times. And it's like, you know, I think blessing your food before you eat is like a great thing. I think it's giving God thanks for your food. It's like, thank you for providing this for us. But I think sometimes we get in the rhythm and the motions of praying, I guess you could say passive prayers or praying, you know, subconscious prayers where you're not really thinking about it. You're not really taking authority in the name of Jesus. You're kind of just saying it. And I think we got into that rhythm of elevate. And I would say a bless the food prayer before the message or maybe a bless the food prayer after worship. I'm not saying every time this happened, but it kind of became, you know, just kind of in the rhythm. And, I, and we kind of had this moment at Bold and we're like, I want, we want more passionate intercessory type prayer, more aggressive, more bold, more stuff like that. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing more of that as we go. But before we continue with the message, I thought... Um, Bold Conference put up an amazing recap of the Bold Conference. If you look closely, you can see some of you guys in it, and it's going to be awesome. So, um, yeah, so here is the Bold Recap of 2022. He will transform you into the person you're called to become. 
Well, what if I miss my destiny? Listen, your destiny is not a place. It's not a position. It's not an income. It's not an opportunity. Your destiny is a person and his name is Jesus. And you can keep reaching and trying and dating and partying and scrolling and watching and clicking and subscribe. You can keep doing all of that, all that you want. But let me tell you, the only true satisfaction and peace and joy and fulfillment you will ever find is where nobody else is. And it's you and God. And he's speaking identity over you. And he's anointing you. And he's calling you. And he's equipping you. And he's saving you. And he's healing you. And he's delivering you. that prayer is enjoyable, that the presence of Jesus is the best thing that there is on planet Earth, that literally being where He is is better than any amount of fame, any amount of dollars, any relationship, anything else can give you. You are made by God in his image. Psalm 139 says that God created you in your mother's womb. He knows you. You are not an accident. You were created by God. He has a plan for your life. If you are a young man and you have been redeemed by God, you are a man of God. You are not a woman, you are a man. If you are born a woman of God and you have given your life to Jesus, you are a woman of God. You are not a man. You are a woman of God. That's true. I wasn't healed for 17 years. Hundreds of people prayed for me. Hundreds of people prayed for me to be healed. I was in gatherings like this. People would lay hands on me and they would pray. And I had faith for that. I had faith, but I wasn't healed. And I remember every time that I wasn't healed, I would run to my prayer closet and I would say, Lord, you're still good. You're still God. You're still a healer. I still believe you're a healer. You're still good. And so I think what if, what if we define faith as something where even when we don't see it, even when we don't see God move in those ways, we still believe who he is. We still believe he is a healer. God broke in to a small community in Wales through a young person who had prayed for multiple years for God to move, and the Welsh revival touched the entire world. At a time when there was no transatlantic planes, at a time when there was no internet, when there was no social media, when there wasn't any TikTok or Snapchat, when there wasn't even Facebook, when there wasn't any of those types of things, God used a man, a young man who prayed in the middle of nowhere that God would use him and it touched the four corners of the world. for? What are we going to ask God for? What are we going to stand in the gap for in believing for our generation? I know I'm not alone when I say this, 
I'm believing that God is gonna raise up Gen Z to be the most activated and missional generation to walk this earth. Come on, that's awesome. That's so cool, you guys. And yeah, we got some people in it. That's awesome. So there were about 1,200 total people there. So it was massive. It was a great time. But again, I feel like so strongly that, that the bold, you know, summer camp, summer experiences are never like the ending point. It's never the finish line. It's always the starting line. Or at the very least, it's a pit stop. It's a spiritual pit stop for us. And I think they drove that home so, so well that bold is our starting point. And they mentioned this phrase a few times, and we're going to be basing the sermon series around it. But now that we've seen bold, we've heard the stories, now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to move. And so this is going to be our message series for um, the week. And I need somebody who can come up here and to pray over us. Is there any volunteers? I see uh, Caden right here. The lights are come on. Give him a round of applause, you guys. All right. Pray us out. All right. I don't got a squealy voice now. But dear God, I hope everyone in this room is able to have an amazing, I guess, night today. And we're able to be just filled with God's words and hopefully leave having a great feeling, mood, and just hunger, hunger for them. And we just pray for everyone in here to be just happy and amazing. Amen. Amen. I feel good not having a squealy voice. All right. Awesome. Amen. So something that God dropped in my spirit that, so he dropped this in me in January, okay? And I couldn't figure out what, the, how to put the words there. I couldn't figure out the phrase, couldn't figure it quite out. But at Bold, he finally clarified it for me, what I was feeling. And I just want to share it with you guys. Um, we can put it on the screen. It says, unless the young people are passionate and bold, both in public and in private, the church is losing. The church is losing. Unless the teenagers, unless the youth, unless the young people in our communities and in our cities are, are passionate, on fire, ready to go, both in the public spaces, in our schools, in our cities, in our communities, and in our private spaces, in the secret place, in the prayer closets, in those places that nobody notices, the, the acts of generosity, the acts of obedience that no one may ever see. The decisions to turn from temptation and turn towards purity that no one will ever acknowledge or recognizes, unless we are doing those things, the church is losing. The church is losing. Our communities, our cities, our schools, all those places that I always mention, they are depending on us. They're depending on you. They're depending on you specifically. And we talked about this during our worship moment, but they're depending on you to walk in the room with Jesus. And thus, you are bringing Jesus into the room in your spaces, wherever that is, even if it's like a primarily Christian space. Like, I don't know, some of you guys work at Chick-fil-A, right? And it's like, you know, they don't, it's not like a requirement that you have to be, you know, Christian or Mormon to work there, but it kind of feels like it is, doesn't it? Like, I don't know. It's primarily, even primarily spaces, even like, you know, if you go to a Christian school or even um, any of those things, even our church sometimes, right, guys? Like, even our church, like, a church is losing if we're not bringing in unsafe people either, right? So it's like we need to bring Jesus everywhere we go because if we don't, we're losing. If, if we don't bring Jesus into Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A is going to be losing, right? If we don't bring Jesus into our room and into our private life, we're losing, 
That's our goal. Our goal is to carry Jesus passionate, with, with passionate hearts, with burning desires, and with boldness everywhere we go. And so this series is going to be looking not at just what happened at Bold, not, at ju- not just that, but we're going to be looking all the way back in church history even. We're going to be looking at past revivalists. We're going to be looking at um, past figures in church history. We're going to be looking at figures in the Bible of what they did, of how they started revival, of how they were passionate in private and in public. And then we're going to look at those stories and we're going to say, now it's my turn. Now it's our turn as Elevate Youth. Now it's Elevate Youth's turn to see that revival. Now it's our turn to see that passionate on fire for Jesus in our lives. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's your turn. It's your turn. So I want to focus on that for the next however long this series lasts. I don't have an end point for it. I don't know. Maybe we'll do this until Christmas. Like, I just, I kind of see this as like, you know, I don't, I don't know how else to put it, but like deep Christianity 101. Maybe, maybe we'll call it real Christianity 101 because that's what this is, right? Like we're not going to have, we're not going to handle any of that fake stuff. We're not going to handle any of that. But like I said, bold was not the finish line. And being a okay or even a good Christian isn't the finish line either. Checking the boxes, going to church, reading your Bible even every day, praying every day, even that, that's not the finish line. We're not there until we're like 100% passionate, on fire for God, willing to do whatever it takes to see his kingdom come down to earth. And so what I want to do, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11 tonight. Who has their Bible with us? If you have your Bible, just hold it up. Who's got their Bible? Okay, so we've got a few of you guys. We're, we're going to change that. We're going to change that, okay? So I want from, for the, at least the rest of this series, I want you guys to start bringing your Bibles. Phones are okay. They're, they're fine. But I know Pastor Lee Cummings said this a lot, but like there's something about like a real physical Bible, something that you can mark up. I see your Bible over there. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, something that you can like mark up, something that you can like, I, don't, I, I was going to say rip to shreds, but that is not the, the language I'm looking for here. But from now on, I want you guys to bring your Bibles at least during this series, but really every time we come to church, we should be bringing our Bible. Um, hey, Zach, I have a, a box of Bibles back there. Could you grab that? Uh, if, if you guys want to like borrow a Bible, would you just raise your hand and Zach will bring it to you? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up the story and just raise your hand. Zach will be passing them out. I think there's only 12, so like, we'll, we'll give them to you guys. Um, and if you guys don't have a real Bible at home, by the way, you can just keep it. Like, you don't have to give it back. Just keep it. Um, so, okay, so Hebrews 11. If you got your Bible, turn to Hebrews 11. And I love what Pastor Lee said. Speaking about Pastor Lee, I love what he said. He said, we live in a culture that has $1,000 phones but $10 Bibles. We live in a culture that has $1,000 phones, but $30 Bibles. I thought that was a great uh, statement to say, and I actually heard that a while ago, and so I got this Bible, but I've also got another one that I really like, and not that it's about like the price of your Bible that matters, but it's like, what are we choosing to value in our culture? You know, Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, and I think we should have at least a decent Bible with a translation that you prefer, translation that you like, and we could at least start there. So Hebrews 11 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. To me, it's the most encouraging chapter. It, I believe it's, it's really powerful for me, and it really gets me excited to be a Christian. It gets me excited to go after God and chase after him, and I think once we read it, 
you will agree with it. And I'm going to be actually reading from my physical Bible. I'm not, I'm not a hypocrite, okay? I'm not going to read from my laptop or the screen. I'm going to read from my own Bible. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> but, so Hebrews 11, um, I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit about it. it. A lot of people call it the hall of faith. And that's because it lists a lot of by faiths. And I'm just going to read just a couple off. I don't have references for them, but it says, you know, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned about things not yet seen, was moved with godly fear, preparing the ark, even though people were ridiculing him. You know, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he would receive an inheritance. And when he went out, he didn't know where he was going. But he did it by faith. By faith, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasures in Egypt, for he looked towards his real reward. And he did that by faith. By faith. He did all those things. All those people in that Bible, I'm not going to read every single one, but they did all those things by faith. And faith, uh, we talk, talk uh, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Wait. Faith is, um, it's basically you don't quite, you don't quite have the assurance of what's going to happen yet. I know I've got that verse somewhere in there, but there's a lot of by faiths in Hebrews. And I specifically want to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. We do have this on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but I want to encourage you to read it from your Bible. And it, goes, it does all this after listing all the by-faiths. It says this. It says, What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to fight to flight in the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So these guys are like crazy. These guys are insane, but they knew their goal. They were so strong, so set on their goal that they weren't tempted with the fleeting pleasures of this life. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they, were, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And this next verse is my favorite wording in the entire Bible. It says, they were of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that just like incredible? They were of whom the world wasn't worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. They didn't receive the promise because God had provided something better for us. They were of those whom the world was not worthy. It just, we just read they were tortured. They were tormented. They were sawn in two. They wandered. They were destitute. They were isolated. They were shunned. They were doing all these things. And what? why did they do all those things? They did them by faith that God would have something better for them. They did them by faith that God was ha had some, a better plan for them. But again, this, seri this series is called, Now It's Our Turn. So I want to look at the very next scripture, which is in 12.1. It says, therefore, so that therefore just seems because of this, therefore, 
we also, everyone say we also. We also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who is the great cloud of witnesses? It was all those people that he's been mentioning in this entire Hebrews 11 chapter. Since we are surrounded by those people, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which, cling, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You can see all the wording of the us. Let us lay aside. Let us run. And let us run the race that is set before us. Therefore, we also do this. We also run with endurance. We also set aside every weight. We also need to live by faith just to the same degree as everybody we've read in Hebrews 11. I mean, I don't think I'm misreading that. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. We also do that. We do that. We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right-hand throne of God. And we do that, and we use Jesus as our example, Jesus as our guide, Jesus as our guideline for what that looks like. And it says, the joy of Jesus that was set before him endured the cross. Endured the cross. We've talked about the cross a lot, but the cross was so painful and so horrible that they had to create a new word for it, and that was excruciating. Excruciating, which literally translates to pain similar to that of being hung on a cross. He experienced literal excruciating pain on the cross. He did so by faith for the joy with a joyful heart that was set before him. You know, joy is a really unique, special thing. Clearly, clearly we can take from that that joy is not at all dependent on our circumstances, right? Like, there is, it is not dependent on our circumstances. Joy is not that tied to our happiness, which happiness is dependent on the circumstances, I believe. And I believe it's like next to impossible to be a Christian and not have joy. Like, I, I mean, I, let, me, let me rephrase. I think you, you, can, you will absolutely be saved still if you're like not a joyful person. But I think it, it makes being a Christian, like a real Christian, I'm not talking about like a fake Christian, I'm talking about like a real Christian, very difficult to do. It's like trying to like, you know, run a car and drive it without ever putting oil in it or ever putting gasoline in it. It's like, it, it makes it a lot difficult to do. Following Jesus without joy is a lot like staying in a hotel room full of guys without Febreze. It stinks. It stinks. Something's not working right. It's not happening. When you're in a situation like that for too long, for too many days and too many nights, specifically three days and four nights, you will turn to anything just to feel something, something all like this video that was taken at Bold. Let's throw that up on the screen here. You begin to turn to things that are not natural. I'm in the way. Jackson, you look so happy about that. I'm just going to say, like, you can, you can see that they have, become, they have become crazed. Like, they're, they're not, that's not normal, okay? It's not normal. You, you begin to turn to things just to feel something, right? And I think as silly as that is, it's, it's similar to like being a Christian without choosing joy, the joy that Jesus had. 
it begins to not work. It begins to not work right. You begin to turn to things that won't actually bring you joy, such as gummy worms on pizza or whatever Jackson had in that cup. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking right now. Were there chocolate candies? Oh, that's even, that's even worse. Junior mints. No, they're good on their own but not mixed with gummy worms and whatever else was in there. Okay, did you actually eat it though? You did? Was that good? He's shrugging. I'm gonna say that as a no. That's, that's absolutely a no. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on. We're gonna move on. Having, being a Christian, being a real Christian that faces real trials, um, Without joy, without choosing joy, without having the same joy that Jesus had, that he has equipped us to have, it's like running on, it's like driving a car without AC, which I had to experience for the past couple months. I luckily got it fixed. Um, it was by a very benevolent person. Um, somebody's dad here. Yeah, they're clapping. Okay. His good looking dad. I didn't say it. He said it. So. But it's easy to have joy when things are good, right? It's easy to choose joy when things are good. But I would argue that's not joy, that's happiness. Because joy is not dependent on our circumstances. If joy disappears when things are bad, I would say you're not choosing joy, right? And so, luckily, we, we have the full option to choose joy, that nothing can steal our joy. The Bible says, blessed are those who choose joy. And I define this. I define joy as this. I don't have this on screen, but if you're taking notes, write this down. Joy is giving the title and the deed to your hopes, fears, thoughts, and happiness to God. Joy is giving the keys. He's giving the car keys of your thoughts, your hopes, your feelings, your emotions, your, your happiness, and giving it to God and saying, God, no matter what, I'm with you. No matter what, I'm not going to not choose joy. Because I think when, when, we, when we do that, I believe we're unstoppable as Christians, that nothing can phase us if we can choose joy in every circumstance. I think it's easy to look at Hebrews 11 and kind of see it like stuck in a box, you know, like, you know, it's just words on a page, just stories that haven't actually happened. But I think it's easy to stick it, just like put it in a box and just not look at it again. But um, we had, uh, to, to, to put this in example, who here had a great time blowing stuff up on 4th of July? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard people say it's their favorite holiday because you blow stuff up and eat good food. And I'm like, it's hard to argue with that logic. It's hard to argue with that logic. Um, Fourth of July, me and my wife and my son spent it at my parents' house, and my dad captured a few great moments. We can throw up the first picture up here. He said, this is Judah watching his dad doing something dangerous in the backyard, and that's awesome. But then he sent us the next thing over here, Judah with his mom doing something dangerous in the backyard. <laughs> You can just look at that face. He's like, what is going on? I looked at this picture, and I thought it looked a lot like this old meme here. Throw that up on the screen, too. Yeah, I thought that looked similar. Uh, let's flip back to the other one. Okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But so 4th of July, you know those people that always, like, ruin the fun by telling, like, saying something like, you know, I don't know, anti-patriotic or something? You guys know? I, a lot of times, I'm that person. <laughs> so... I learned something this, a couple weeks ago during 4th of July, I learned something about Roman candles. I don't know, if, you, if any of you guys know the history of Roman candles, I'll, I'll tell it to you so I can forever horrify you when you hear the word Roman candle. 
But basically, it's this. Put it simply, to cut it short, Roman candles were originally, they're named after something that in ancient Rome, the like high, peop, the high you know, people, the elitists, what they did for, to decorate their gardens and as entertainment was they tied a Christian to a stake, put him in oil, and lit them on fire from the feet up. Basically, they did that as entertainment and for the aesthetic because they liked it in their gardens and it would slowly burn the Christians who were tied to the stake. And then we came along at some point in history that no one knows why and we have this little cute Roman candle that like, you know, lights stuff up and we're just like, oh yeah, that's a Roman candle. I'm not going to ever think about that again. And so I was like, I told this to my family and they're like, Sean, stop. Like, no, at least my mom was, so... I know, I'm sorry for scarring you, but I got scarred and now it's your turn, so. That's not okay, that's not okay. So what I'm saying that is to say is I don't have time to talk about past revivalists that have also endured sufferings and persecution. We'll get to that later in this series, but the important thing is this. It's that these things, that real people, real Christians have taken these things into practice. They looked at Hebrews and they said, I'm not done yet, it's my turn. It's my turn, therefore I also, surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, I will lay aside every weight. I will lay aside every shame. I will lay aside everything, every prideful thought in me so that I can obey God. And listen, if we want to see revival in our day, if we want to see God transform our schools, our families, our lives, it's going to take that kind of faith. It's going to take that kind of obedience. It's going to take that kind of power. And it's because this is my main point tonight. It's revival demands reckless obedience. Revival demands reckless obedience. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. But if you want to see something, I'm not talking about just like, I'm not talking about just worldwide revival. I'm saying like, hey, if there's one area in your life, like one small area, like one temptation or one like weakness in your life that you need revival in, because revival literally just means to bring from death to life, to restore to its original state or purpose. That's all revival means. If there is this point in your life where you need revival in, where you need to see a breakthrough, you need to see uh, freedom from a temptation, that's going to demand reckless obedience to what God has to say to you. That's going to take a level of reckless obedience. Again, it doesn't matter if it's your family, your school, your parents, your friends, your church. You know, I, believe, I agree that most of us here, we want revival. We want to see God transform our culture because, I don't, let me tell you guys, it needs it, right? Our culture needs revival. But we all need revival. So here's my challenge to you. As the worship team comes back up, I want to challenge you guys and leave you guys with this. And it's a hard question, and it's one that I'm battling with myself. It's what is it going to take for you to obey? What is it going to take for you to obey? And I'm sure some of you guys might have heard parents say this to you before as well, but I don't say this in a a condemning kind of way. I don't say this in a shaming kind of way. But I'm asking you genuinely friend to friend, heart to heart, what will it take for you to obey God? And I want to encourage you, don't wait till it's too late to obey. You know, some of us have been given a call and a mission at Bold. I know some of you guys have because you told me. You've been given clear instructions, clear directions of what you need to do. 
At what point, what will it take for you to obey God and have that reckless obedience on your life? Because we, again, we don't want to wait until it's too late. Because I think some of us, we battle with that. We're, we're like, we feel the need to wait for the circumstances to be right. And I'm this way, that's why this question is so hard for me, that we feel the need to wait for everything to fall into place, to be perfect, to, to be the right way. We're waiting on, you know, numerous different confirmations. We're waiting on, um, you know, wait until we get to college. Whatever it is, I can't make it up for you. But if God has commanded you to do something, you need a reckless obedience to do that. Obviously, I'm not saying don't. I'm saying completely, completely regard every wise counsel in your life. Pray about it. Take some time. But once you feel certain, obey. Have that reckless obedience, especially if it's something that's not big and life-changing. There's a story like that actually in Hebrews 11 that I'm going to read. And it's about Abraham. And Abraham had a call in his life. God gave him a call. He said, through Isaac, you will be the father of many nations. Through specifically your son, Isaac, you will be the father of many nations. And we know the story where God then commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And the author of Hebrews talks about it. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, who he had received the promises offered up to his only begotten son, it says, in Isaac, your line will be called. So Abraham recognizes disobedience. He recognizes the call. And Abraham goes through, and as far as God tells him to stop. And Hebrews says what was, he was thinking in his mind. So Abraham has the call on his life, but then he has the order. He has the command. And so Abraham says this, supposing that God was going to raise Isaac up from the dead after he sacrificed him, he obeyed. And, in, and the author of Hebrews went and even said, and he was raised from the dead in a figurative sense. Abraham had this reckless obedience, but also reckless faith to the point when God says, okay, Isaac is gonna be the father of many nations, okay, I, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Abraham didn't think, okay, I guess the call is over now. Abraham didn't think, I guess I didn't hear from God. Abraham said, I will sacrifice Isaac. And because you gave me this promise, I'm just gonna assume that you're gonna raise him from the dead. Think of how reckless that faith is. Think of how, in, like, that kind of faith is crazy. But if we wanna see revival, it's gonna demand that kind of faith. It's the faith that doesn't make sense, but that's why it's faith. And my challenge for you tonight is, what is it gonna take for you to obey? Are you gonna wait for those circumstances to be right? Are you gonna wait for all those things to line up? Or are you just gonna start walking? Are you just gonna start obeying? Are you just gonna start doing now, not later? I don't know if your parents ever told you this, but delayed obedience is disobedience, right? And I think it's true with God as well. As hard as it is for me to say that, I think it is true with God as well. We don't, we shouldn't wait until we're older, shouldn't wait until we're in college, but God has called us to something today. And my challenge for you is don't wait until it's too late. Let's have that reckless obedience like our, our forefathers in Hebrews have had, like the past revivalists in history. And let's start walking. 
Let's start moving. So let's all stand up tonight. We're going to be ending with one last time of worship, one last moment to connect with God here as a church until next week. And I just want to invite you guys to give it everything. Give him everything. Holy Spirit, move inside of us. Challenge us, convict us. Give us, give us boldness, give us passion.
opportunity a week from tomorrow I can't think of what date that is but we have another TNT at Journey Church so if you don't know what that is it's a night of prayer and worship where we get a couple hundred people in this room and we just have an amazing prayer and worship and hey can I tell you guys something real quick I was talking to Pastor Aaron at the staff meeting today and he said there's something he's like Sean I meant to tell you this but there's something special because when the teenagers are in the room he said the teenagers are the ones leading worship not the congregation and he said, and I was like, well, be ready because for this Thursday, because we are fresh off board, we're on fire. So I want to see all of you guys there again. It's a week from tomorrow at 7 p.m. in this building, in this room. I hope to see you guys there. But until then, you guys are dismissed. I will see you guys next week.